Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast with me, special guest host, Dr. Johnny Reese, and powered by Ultimate Performance, the world's premier personal training experience that delivers maximum results in minimum time. In each episode of the Unfiltered Podcast, we speak to the most respected, celebrated, and controversial experts in the fields of health, fitness, nutrition, well-being, and performance to help you find the life-changing advice you need to live smarter. Remember, you can find all our exclusive unfiltered documentaries, video interviews, and investigations at unfilteredonline.com and the Unfiltered Extra YouTube channel. And now, on with the show. I am here today with Rachel Shear. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Johnny, thanks for having me on the Unfiltered Podcast. I'm excited to be here today. Great. Well, I'm excited to dig in, and I have lots of questions for you. So, I think I'd like to just start off by learning a bit about your background and about how you came to do what you do today. So obviously you're the CEO of Rachel Shear Nutrition. Um, you mentor women in business. You have quite a big uh, and well-known reputation uh, in the fitness industry. So mm-hmm. I was just wondering if you could kind of explain how you came to, to where you are today. That's a loaded question for sure, especially since, uh, <laughs> you know, between the businesses I run. But I always like to start out on my health journey because that was really what catapulted me into doing everything that I do today. And if I were to be completely transparent, you know, I didn't know the meaning of health until I lost it myself. And I grew up, I was, I was a fitness model, I was a bodybuilder. I shouldn't say growing up, I was a fitness model. But, you know, when I was in, uh, my, my teens, I got into fitness modeling when I went off to college at Baylor University. Um, I was a gymnast and I was a dancer, so I stepped into bodybuilding competitions. So for me, you know, I've been an athlete my entire life. And I actually remember one day uh, a few years ago being in an elevator with a guy and he like was like looking at me up and down. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> and uh, he's like, how long have you been working out for? And um, it was like one of those like questions you get where you have to like think about it. And I was like, well, you know, I did bodybuilding competitions and then I was a gymnast and as a dancer and I grew up in this since I was a little girl. I was like, I don't know, dude, I'm an athlete. And uh, it was one of those interesting moments where I realized, you know, the difference between the question he was asking and the identity that I really carried, which is he asked me how long I'd been working out for And for me, it wasn't about how long it was really, that's who I was, you know, I'm an athlete. So it's been a huge part of who I am my entire life. But, you know, I will say at the beginning of my fitness modeling and bodybuilding, I thought, you know, health was just looking good naked. Um, I had shredded six pack abs and I was on the cover of magazines like train magazine, bodybuilding.com. And I had grown my entire social media following to almost a quarter of a million just based off of my physical appearance. And from the outside looking in, right, I looked like the epitome of health uh, for sure. And I'm winning all of these competitions and people just want to work with me because they want to look the way that I look. But it was about three years into competing that my body actually started to give me a lot of pushback. 
And that was when I started to battle a lot of severe health issues. I started to struggle with thyroid issues, hormonal imbalances, and I started to deal with terrible gut issues where I could actually no longer eat anything without being in massive pain because of how bloated I was. And I always tell everybody I kind of looked like a ninja turtle because I had a six pack, and uh, but I had like a bloated belly at the end of each day um, because of how off my gut was, which gives you quite the picture to think about, uh, Ninja Turtle, uh, bloated belly. But, you know, I started to deal with all these health issues. And here I am thinking, you know, how can I be dealing with all these health issues? You know, I've been an athlete my entire life. I ate what I thought was a healthy diet. And to be, again, very, very honest, I felt betrayed by my body in a lot of ways. And it was also at this point of my life, I realized how much my sense of worth was also coming from my physical body, right? It was my sense of identity. And it was a huge wake-up call for me because I literally lost who I was for a period of time, not to mention, you know, I went from doctor to doctor. And that's what I or we're taught to do when something's off in the body. You you go to the doctor. Um, and I did different scans, MRI, CT, colonoscopy, endoscopy, um, was passed around from different specialists to specialists, and no one could really figure out what was going on with me. I was just given what I call a trash can diagnosis, so like hypothyroidism, IBS, for irritable bowel syndrome, and I was put on a ton of different medications. And actually, at one point, I was on over five medications. I was on an antidepressant. I was on birth control. I was on thyroid medication. I was on prescription laxatives, um, anxiety medication, and that was really the solution for a lot of these chronic lifestyle-related health issues that I was dealing with. And for me, I was really determined to get to the root of all of this, right? Because this is this is my life. This is who I am. And not to mention my quality of life just completely went to shit, literally. With where I was at, I could barely get out of bed. Um, I remember even one day just lying on the kitchen floor crying and you know, a massive amount of pain and being malnourished and afraid to eat. So no social life. And, you know, it just was this constant state of fear and survival mode. So for anybody who's ever been at, you know, a low point in your health, you also realize how selfish you become because everything is just focused on trying to get through the day. It's focused on yourself. You can't actually think about other people in your life. You can't think about chasing your dreams or going after a business. You can't think about any of that because you're just focused on how you feel and just trying to get through the day. So I know what that's like for anybody who's ever been there in their health or for anybody who's there right now. And um, after going for a couple of years to all of these specialists, I was actually then sent to a colorectal surgeon who then told me I needed to have my entire large intestine removed. And that was like my final solution to fixing all of these gut issues. And I always tell this story about being told I needed to have my large intestine removed. And people were like, wow, that's insane. Who would ever recommend that? And honestly, at that point in my life, Johnny, I was like, cool, let's do it. Let's get the surgery, like cut it out. I want to be done with this. I don't want to fucking feel this way I feel anymore. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast, but it's called unfiltered. So I figured I could. <laughs> um, but I, I was just so 
I had this low point in my life and I was desperate to just feel better. And part of that is what has made me be an incredible coach because I know what it's like. I can speak into people. I know what it's like to say, just give me the quick fix. Just give me the pill. Just give me the medication. I don't want to be where I'm at anymore. I just want to get on with my life. And that was, that was me. And I had every reason to want to get on those medications and want to get the surgery. But there was like that one little that one little nudge inside of me. And uh, I, I believe in God. So I, I believe it was God's nudge to me of like, hey, there is another way. So I took my discipline that I put into bodybuilding and fitness and trying to get to the root of these answers to just becoming obsessed with being the detective of my own health. And I would stay up each night researching and learning everything that I could about the gut and the gut microbiome. I actually started to learn more about a concept called functional medicine, which I had never heard of before, which for anybody listening, that just means a root cause approach. We would think that it all should be a root cause approach, but uh, it's not always a root cause approach. And I ended up doing a lot of elimination diets. I ended up having to, you know, really work on my my gut health and actually as a byproduct of learning about functional medicine i found that a lot of my core issues were stemming from something called SIBO small intestinal bacteria overgrowth and as a byproduct of this dysbiosis or imbalance of bacteria in my my microbiome it led to a lot of motility issues so where i couldn't use the restroom um, led to hypothyroidism issues led to uh, poor mental health. Uh, it led to even skin issues, which I didn't even bring up, but it caused this cascade of all of these issues. And Western medicine wasn't talking about this at the time. They weren't talking about the microbiome. They were looking everything very selectively, you know, and that's a lot of what Western medicine does, which is great for acute based care, right? So if you're somebody who gets a broken leg or in a car accident, go to Western medicine. Western medicine saves lives, but it's not our doctor's jobs to keep us healthy. It's their job to keep us alive. And that's really the distinction. So when it came to my issues, which really at the core was a lifestyle related issue, Western medicine really didn't offer any solutions for that other than just managing the symptoms. So I was offered all these different medications and even surgery. And ultimately, after I learned a lot about how my issues were stemming from my gut microbiome, you know, I was able to make the necessary dietary and lifestyle changes, but it wasn't medication-based. It was a lot of work. It was having to radically change my entire life. Um, I had to work on my relationship with self because stress and actually how I was treating my body at a very low metabolic rate, low body fat percentage competing led to a lot of these uh, motility issues in the gut, led to everything to slow down, led to hypothyroidism issues, led to a terrain where my gut lining was broken down because cortisol, which is what is spiked when we're in a very chronically stressed state, which could be various types of stress. This could be dietary stress, emotional stress, physical stress. I probably had all three of them going on in my life where the gut lining breaks down 
leading to leaky gut. So we get bacteria, foods, and toxins leaking into the bloodstream, which triggers a massive immune and inflammatory response. So hello, autoimmune conditions. Luckily, I did not develop an autoimmune condition, um, but I did develop a lot of food sensitivity and the motility slowed down and this led to a train where bacteria could overgrow in my gut. Hello, SIBO. Hello, mental health issues and everything else. So looking at it from this perspective, which was a, a functional medicine perspective, really saying not just what is off, but why is it off? And not just looking, looking and not just looking at the body as, you know, a random collection of independent organs, but really looking at how the body is an interconnected system and how everything was influencing everything. That was when I was able to really start to begin to heal and it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was, it was months up to a year of working on my nutrition, working on my stress, doing actually a very restrictive diet, different supplements, doing functional medicine testing, which is, wasn't being done from a lot of the uh, practitioners that I was seeing. And eventually I just got to the point, I just remember one day um, not even thinking about or realizing I had gut issues. It's funny because when you feel bad, you know that you feel bad because that's all you can focus on. But you almost get to this point where you can shift your focus outward. And I was just enjoying my life. And I had that moment where I was like, man, I don't know when the last time was I felt bad. And it was like that exact moment. I was like, okay, like, I think I'm healed. And not to say that we're not always healing because I believe that like healing is a, uh, a lifelong journey. We're always really unbecoming and trying to get back to our core self. But for me, it was that moment of like, all right, like, I actually was able to to heal my physical body where Western medicine wanted to medicate me and put me on all these uh, or medicate me and actually cut out my entire large intestine. And ultimately that led me to create my own functional medicine practice. So I was helping people a lot with weight loss and fitness before, and I pivoted my entire business to really help other people take a root cause approach in their health and Today, now my practice has served over 5,000 people with really creating the approach that I wish that I had when I was struggling, which is, you know, functional medicine lab testing. So it's looking at things like the gut microbiome. It's looking for SIBO. It's looking at hormones, thyroid, adrenals. It's, it's looking at, you know, toxins in the body. It's looking at how it's all interconnected, but also not just what's off in the labs. It's really relationship based. So it's getting to know that person. It's getting to know why these issues came about in the first place. And if somebody was to really just actually get to know me, you know, when I was struggling, if they were like, Hey, this girl's like competing, she's at like 10% body fat, you know, and she has all this stress in her life. And they looked at my nutrition it actually probably would have been pretty obvious, but nobody actually was doing that. So it's very relationship centered. It's really getting to know what are the lifestyle factors. So stress, emotions, uh, nutrition that are driving these things to be off in the body. And then we help people create a game plan to um, help their body heal and not just heal, but really optimize their health. And that's the goal is not just not feel bad or manage the symptoms, but really go from surviving to thriving with their health. I think that's a great way of putting it as well. Like it, it's not just sort of the absence of disease. It's actually 
you know, wellness. What are the sort of things that you most commonly encounter? We, we Your story uh, is obviously quite an extreme one because, you know, f- for it to get to the stage where they were going to remove part of your, um, you said intestine, right? That seems... No, my entire large intestine, the whole thing. Your entire large intestine. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a very extreme scenario. Um, but, you know, a lot of people may feel not quite right, may feel a bit off, not quite to that extent. And I was just wondering, what are the sort of issues that you most commonly encounter in people who aren't perhaps as sick as, as you were, but, you know, don't don't feel great? You know, whether somebody is as sick as I was, I think most people are sick. Truly, I think if we were to all go outside and actually like look at each other, like get out of our homes, get off of technology and like look around at the people, you would realize that most people are sick. Most people are overweight. Most people are unhealthy. Most people are probably struggling with chronic depression, anxiety. Most people are struggling with gut issues, IBS. Um, A lot of people struggling with autoimmune conditions, which are on, you know, a super high rise here. So I think most people truly are sick and a lot of people don't know what it's like to actually feel good. And I think where it becomes really dangerous is that place. It's the people who, you know, they they feel bad, but it's not so bad where they have to run to the hospital, right? Because when we go to the hospital, right, that's something that's acute, it's emergency. And that's where Western medicine is, is very beneficial and can save lives. But for most chronic health issues, depression, um, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, it can be autoimmune conditions, um, just people who are overweight, inflamed, you know, these people really don't get the best solutions and not to mention their pain sometimes not great enough to want to actually create the change in their lives. So this is actually the, a very dangerous place to be because this is where these people settle, right? They settle for, this is just my life and I'm going to live this way and I'm not going to actually do anything a whole lot about it. And uh, I think that's where right now what we're seeing is over half of uh, Americans, at least that's what I can speak to, are on prescription medications. And about on average, each American is on four prescription medications per person. That's insane to think about, right? And with this excessive use of medication, right, there's always side effects. So 69% of drugs have between 10 and 100 different side effects. Another 22% of drugs have over 100 side effects. And only, only 9% of drugs have less than 10 side effects. And this really raises the question of, are these really side effects or are these just effects that can't be marketed? Yeah, that's a very good way of thinking about it. It's a very good way, as you said, kind of flipping it around on itself and uh, framing Mm -hmm. it that way. Despite us spending more on healthcare than any other high income country, the United States has the highest rate of people with multiple chronic illnesses. And what we have is really sick care, not health care, in my opinion. And it's necessary to look at these chronic lifestyle-related issues from a lifestyle perspective, and that's not what Western medicine is doing. Um, and that's where functional medicine really comes in because true healthcare should address the whole person, 
So it looks at the body as an interconnected system, like I explained, instead of just these random collections of, of independent organs. So that's why you go to a gastroenterologist, you go to an endocrinologist, you go to all of these different specialists, but we're not looking at how all of this is connected in the body. And then true healthcare should really aim to eliminate these health issues and stop them from happening in the first place. And then it should also be individualized. So it's primarily focused on dietary and lifestyle changes to address these. And it's taking that root cause approach. So we end up working with, to answer your question, people who fall into this chronic disease state. So this is people who have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. This could be IBD, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, uh, autoimmune conditions like hypothyroidism. This could be depression, right? And Western medicine's approach to depression is, you know, let's look at the symptoms you're experiencing, and then they diagnose based off of the symptom clusters. So you, you meet most of the criteria for depression or major depressive disorder. So we're going to give you a diagnosis of depression, Surprise, surprise. And then they offer a medication where we know in functional medicine, there can be many, many root causes for depression. This can be a deficiency in omega-3 fatty acids, deficiencies in vitamin D. This can be hormonal imbalances, low testosterone, estrogen dominance, low progesterone. This can be thyroid issues. This can be toxins in the body because toxins like heavy metals or mold, they cross through the blood-brain barrier and they cause neuroinflammation. This can be uh, gut dysbiosis or SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And that's because the gut and the brain are very interconnected. 90% of our serotonin is produced from the bacteria in our gut. So, you know, it's one symptom, many causes. And that's really the type of people we work with where they're, they're frustrated with the Western medicine approach. Many of these people have gone to doctors before. They're, they are a little bit like me, like they've gone that route. If they come to us first, I'm like, awesome, great. Um, but they've gone to the doctors, they're, they're frustrated, and they come to us because they, they love our root cause approach. And they're also at the point of their life where they have enough pain, where they're willing to take ownership and make the necessary dietary and lifestyle changes. And I also think that's where, right, with even my story, you know, I was like, give me the, give me the medication, give me the surgery, because that was the easy route. That was the route that, you know, I actually didn't have to do a whole lot of work in. It's, it's crazy that you, you say that now, right? You must, it must have been a, a very dark place to, to kind yeah. of have that as like, okay, That's sure. Not me. Like yeah. And so I do know when you're at a very low point too, medicine can help you get out of it for sure. Like when somebody is at a very low point in their depression, great. Medication can help you raise the bar, but there has to become a point where we look at lifestyle and we look at other areas and we're not just solely relying on medication to do the work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, if you're solely relying on medication and, and you're just treating the symptoms like that, I, I worry in the long term, right? Because where, where does that, that go? If we're concerned about, you know, inflammation, sorry, inflammation and aging, people call it inflammaging, this approach of just treating the symptoms is not a great long-term, it might give you some short-term relief, but it's not mm -hmm. a great long-term bet, I suppose. It's not healing, right? And that's where 
you know, when you get on medication, there's all these different side effects. And then oftentimes people will get on more medication to manage those side effects. But also, you know, let's say somebody who is, you know, in the overweight or the obese category, you know, they're probably going to have a lot of things off internally. They're going to have chronic inflammation. They're probably going to have maybe a degree of some insulin resistance. They may have high blood pressure, so hypertension. You know, they may have a lot of these things going on. So now, one cause, right? Diet, lifestyle. Now they're on multiple medications to manage multiple symptoms, which also can then lead to other side effects. And we're, we're not actually still healing the person. We're still managing, which is why it's really a band-aid approach. Yeah. And as you said, addressing the lifestyle would help them eventually come off various medications, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, things relating to, you know, strength training, and type two diabetes, metabolic syndrome, mm-hmm. eating better and, and strength training, for example, can have a, a huge impact on those sorts of things, blood pressure. And so you've talked a little bit about the kind of tension between, I suppose, traditional Western medicine and functional medicine mm-hmm. and the ways in which, you know, they, they interact in certain ways. And you actually do have a background in, you're a registered dietitian, right? So you actually did have a, you do have a traditional sort of Western nutrition background as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you're able to speak authoritatively kind of from both sides, if if you see what I mean. How much of that traditional background do you actually use in in the sort of day-to-day? You guys can't see my face right now, but I'm like, oh, I'm giving him a face because literally probably very minimal. You know, I I went to Baylor University, which is a top tier, you know, health school in the United States. And everything that you're taught really aligns with the American Dietetic Association, which if you think of the ADA, this is where we had the the food pyramid, right? And we all know the food pyramid. The bottom was, you know, eat a bunch of breads, carbohydrates should be the primary, you know, and then protein was up a lot higher. And, you know, we know the health outcomes that that led to where we have a growing rate of obesity and health issues here in the United States. And I even remember uh, with some of my professors having some arguments because it's very much taught that all calories are equal. It's just calories in, calories out. Now, calories do matter. So anybody who says that calories don't matter doesn't know what they're talking about. But for anybody who says that calories are all that matter, doesn't know what they're talking about even more. So, you know, I was having this argument with a professor about like high protein diets and and protein because I was into bodybuilding and competing at the time. And it was just very flat, like calories in, calories out type of an approach, which um, I I definitely don't align with or utilize with my clients here today. And then after I graduated, I actually uh, worked in clinical for a period of time. So I worked for a children's hospital and, uh, that was when I realized I did not want to do what I thought I wanted to do. If anybody's ever had that experience before, but uh, I was in the basement of this hospital, you know, reading all these, which there are kids charts and I love kids. That's why I went into like more like pediatric side of it all. But I'm like reading these charts and then I would go in and give these nutrition education sort of like consults to these kids, which was really giving it to the parents. <laughs> um, and you see, would see these like five-year-olds that were already obese and overweight. Um, and of course, the parents were too. Like you don't see that 
where the, the kid is and the parents are not. But the parents aren't going to change. They're not going to do anything about it. Like nobody actually wanted the nutrition advice. They're all kind of like, okay, whatever. Let's just like kind of get out of here. And I was like, man, you know, I, uh, I want to give nutrition to or give nutrition advice to people who actually want it. And that's where like with my practice, the people we work with, like they're at the point where like they're ready to make the change and it's, it's completely different. But it was really sad to see it, to really have to work with these these kids or work with these parents were, I mean, five years old, morbidly obese. Yeah, that's, I mean, you've got to think that that child has such a, such a bad start in life, but if they've got, if their role model is like that and this sort of quick mm -hmm. fix culture of, Oh, I'll take a pill and it'll manage that. And you know, it's, um, you do have to worry, especially uh, as you I think our food quality and other things have, have also, you know, declined as well. Sure. I don't, I don't want to lead you here, but, um, you know, obviously people, obesity is becoming a bigger, no pun intended, a bigger and bigger issue. Um, and I'd love, you know, with, with all your experience and especially you said you work with 5,000 people, uh, and that's just in My your team, not me alone, at least I do. Okay, have a but team. that still gives you a lot of, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of data points there. Right. I mean, yes. what, what do you think? Uh, you, you've alluded to a lot of it, but w what do you think are the major drivers of, of diabetes? I'll say in the Western world, because the UK, the US, they have a lot of similarities. Um, you know, but, but if you're more comfortable just in the US, I mean, how do you look at the main drivers of uh, obesity? I mean, simple answer is all coming back to lifestyle and diet. But I think, you know, looking at the bigger picture is, you know, we have a food industry that pays no attention to health and we have a health industry that pays no attention to food. So our, our system is broken, you know, so our food industry, they purposely engineer foods to make you addicted. I feel like dumb and weak, you know, to be completely transparent about that. And, uh, like if you think of Pringles, it's like, I bet you can't just eat one. Like all of these hyper palatable foods are truly engineered to make people addicted. And they are, although calorie dense, they're very nutrient poor. So over 30% of calories coming from sugar and vegetable oils and seed oils, which are inflammatory to the body. So this wreaks havoc on the body's metabolic system. And over time, these empty calories, especially because they're hyper palatable and we can just eat a ton, we're, we're in a calorie excess. So people are gaining more weight. Um, they're addicted to these foods and their whole neuroendocrine system is messed up along with their nutrition choices with the fact that they're not exercising, they're not moving their body, they're not prioritizing strength training, which I'm a huge advocate for. And then we also live in a very toxic world um, to go along with it. So we have a lot of neuroendocrine disruptors between what we're, we're drinking in our water, between plastics, BPA. Um, I run toxin panels on people all the time and I even ran one on myself and I was blown away to see what came back with our lab testing. I mean, I, I definitely had um, BPA glyphosate, which glyphosate wreaks havoc on the gut microbiome. Um, I had a little bit of mold. It wasn't a mold infection, but it was more food-based molds. Like you can find them in like coffee or grains, oftentimes, sometimes fruit. Um, but I had actually a pretty high toxic load. And that was very eye-opening for me because I'm a very healthy person and I take care of myself. And, and I even had a pretty that, high load. 
as you said, with the way you eat and, and mm-hmm. with all the knowledge you have, you know, you've got to think about what would the average, you know, what would the average person have? Yeah. So it's a combination of, I think, all of these things, you know, toxin levels are continuously increasing. I think people are stressed more than ever right now. Um, so people just live in this state of stress um, where their bodies, again, their endocrine system is dysregulated. And you throw in these, all of these different stressors. So there's really four stressors we talk about in functional medicine, but there's dietary stress. So that's the sad diet, the standard American diet. You throw in physical stress, which for me, my physical stress was more so like overtraining and metabolic stress. But for most people, it's the lack thereof. You can throw in emotional stress, right? So never ending to-do lists right now. We have a a culture that is definitely focused more on, uh, I'd say on, on like fame and likes and social media and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of, uh, of unworthiness that we all feel, which creates a level of stress and trying to feel like we have to prove ourselves. Uh, for some people, it can be unaddressed trauma. And then we have environmental stress. You know, that's the toxic world that we live in. And it's a combination of all of these different stressors, which can be a little bit unique for each person, you know, based off of, you know, their genetics and their upbringing and everything. But that's ultimately what's leading to this epidemic of so many chronic health issues that are rooted in lifestyle. Yeah, I think, as you said, so many of these things, lifestyle causes the problem, but then lifestyle is also potentially or not necessarily exclusively, but part of the the solution as well right but it's it's getting through to getting that across to people that so many things can be managed um you know with better diet with better exercise with as you said attention to you know perhaps dealing with stress better and sleeping better and all these sorts of things that that people will perhaps neglect but because they're hard to do in some ways right it's hard to make these big changes and unless Mm -hmm. As you said, unless people are kind of at that point, at that tipping point, it's yeah. um, it's hard to. You get have to have a there. great enough why to want to make these changes. So for most people, we don't create change unless the pain is great enough. Think about if you've ever been in a like a you say not that great relationship with somebody before, and you stay in it, and you stay in it, and you stay in it, and you're like, oh, I'm not that happy, but I'm in it. But it's like, it's bad, but it's not that bad. So you stay in it until, until you get to that point, that one day where you're like, there's pain here. I'm tired of this relationship. And all you can really see is the amount of pain that it's causing in your life. And you're like, that's it. It's, it's, it's over. I'm done. And then you create the, the courage to change. So change takes happen or change takes place in a moment of time. People say they can change is a long time. It's not, you know, we are prep prepping for change for a long period of time. Um, but the moment we actually create changes in that moment. So for many people it's bad, but it's not bad enough. Um, I wish people didn't have to get to that point where it is so bad, where there's so much pain in their life with their health. But for many people, we know that it's when they have the heart attack. It's when they watch a family member die. It's, it was like for me, you know, and I wasn't overweight. So for me, it was a little bit like, what do you mean? Like I'm healthy. Right. But it was when I'm told I have to have my large intestine removed, you know, for so many people, it's at these moments in their life where they're like, that's it. No more. And I, really am on a mission to educate more people because I do think that 
as we have conversations like these, this can actually be the change that people need to hear. They're like, all right, I don't want to get to that point where, you know, I am lying in a hospital bed. I don't want to get to the point where it could be not even like a health related uh, bad outcome. It could be a relationship outcome um, where it ruins a marriage, where it ruins the relationship that you have with your kids, um, where you're too sick to walk your daughter down the aisle. If you're, you're a dad that's listening here, they can be all of these things. But think about if you were to never actually make the change would you be okay with the outcomes that it would create in your life? And mo if most of us would take the time to really look at this, if I remain as I am right here, right now, doing what I'm doing, will I be happy with how this is going to impact my marriage, my kids, my health, and all of these things? And I think most people would be like, no. But we have to be able to see it because we just live in the moment and we're like, oh, cool. Like, I'm just living life. I'm just, uh, living, you know, we give ourselves all of these excuses. And, uh, you know, I truly believe that, um, you know, it's not self-love and self-respect to just say, hey, I'm going to eat whatever I want because, hey, I only live once. Like true self-love is saying I love myself too much to not take care of my health. And there's a big difference between somebody who's in a pretty good place with their health where they're like, cool, I'm going to go out and enjoy. I'm not saying we have to be legalistic about this or be super restrictive. Like I'm at a point in my health now where I'll go out and I'll have a burger on a gluten-free bun. <laughs> um, I'll go out and you know I will enjoy it every now and then, but I can. But for somebody who's not in a good place with their health, and you know, if you were to really like get quiet and ask yourself, am I where I need to be? And if there's any resistance saying no, that's when it's not the most loving thing for you. And that's where it's knowing the difference. It's not black and white. It's really, really, you know, dependent on that person and where they're ultimately at in their health. Yeah. And I think it's, it's in some ways it, it comes back to you know, the, this idea of self-respect and having the confidence in knowing it's, it's, it's hard to do these sorts of things on your own, right? It's hard to, obviously, you, you know, you managed to do it, but you had a background, at least in nutrition and you had the training piece, you know, probably in, in, you know, pretty good position. I think people struggle with knowing where to start, right? They have busy lives. Yes. They have, all sorts of pressures, you know, work pressures, family pressures, whatever they might be. And they struggle to know where to start or how to start. I mean, mm -hmm. are there any kind of quick bits? And I appreciate this is probably not amenable to a quick and easy answer, but how would you suggest people, if they listen to this and they're like, right, okay, yeah, I think they're onto something. I need to start making a change. Yeah. How does that, how should they, or how would you suggest they begin? Work with a coach. I would say find somebody you can work with. So on my entire journey, I was not doing this alone. Like I first went the Western medicine route, but then I, I worked with a bunch of different people. I worked with a therapist. You know, I worked with a functional medicine practitioner. I worked uh, with all of these different people that became a part of my, you know, my team to really help me to get to where I needed to go. So I think it's, if you're trying to do it alone and you're struggling of knowing where to start, I'd say find a coach. And I say coach specifically because, you know, 
practitioners, physician, which are great when we need to utilize them. But ultimately, coaches understand how to coach. And that's why I think more so uh, nutritionists, fitness trainers, what they really coach on are these lifestyle related changes. And even here looking at the future, I truly think functional nutrition coaches are really going to be at the forefront of helping people truly with their health because, you know, dietitians, nutritionists who can then learn more about functional nutrition, this root cause approach, they have the skills to actually coach other people. Now, many physicians, practitioners, you know, they're at such a high level level of their education. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit off air, but it's like, uh, like, I'm not going to do that. This is what I learned in school where somebody who's a coach is a little bit more open. They're adaptable. And part of what has made me a really great coach is one, I've been where the people we work with have been before. So I know what that's like. And when you're a coach, you're a trainer who you had your own journey of being overweight, of being unhealthy, and you had to lose the weight. You're going to be able to coach people so great in that because you've been there before when you were the nutritionist who had an eating disorder or you struggled with your own hormones or gut issues and you had to really heal through that. That's going to be what makes you a great coach. And I think there's levels of being a great coach too. Because now I actually coach coaches. So I, I coach people on the health, but then I coach coaches to really empower them to step into doing what I do with functional nutrition. Um, because so many people go through the process and they're like, man, Rachel, I, I love what this did for me. And I want to do what you do. And uh, that's why even in this last year, what I've been working on is creating my own functional nutrition certification um, and then there's a functional medicine certification, lab testing interpretation, but functional nutrition for coaches who really want to implement this type of an approach with their clients that they're working with, because I think they can truly create the change that people really need on a lifestyle level, where I would rather add a little bit of education where they have really great coaching skills versus take somebody who's really high in education, but it's harder to teach the necessary coaching skills that somebody needs yeah and i think sometimes and you know i, I can i suppose quali be qualified to say this i think sometimes education can get in the way of learning you know you, you don't want to fall into the trap whereby oh i'm very well educated i know everything you know pe people often um and especially you know I, I have lots of friends who are medical doctors and some will sort of be very open and say, oh, for example, nutrition. Oh, we, we barely got any any information about that in medical school. And, and they'll say that. And others will sort of, you know, give nutritional advice without perhaps not, you know, without perhaps having the best understanding of it. So I think it's having that that humility to, to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. if you have, as you said, a Western medicine thing, if you break your leg, Western medicine is awesome, right? If you have, you know, underlying, for example, the things that you've just been talking about, you know, inflammation and issues, you know, perhaps gut issues and things like that. I think there, there are a lot of um, places in which Western medicine probably falls short. And even too, there with the gap right now, so like Western medicine doesn't really like functional medicine and then right, like functional medicine, and Western medicine, but like there's this gap, but really we're all trying to have the same mission. We're trying to help people heal. We're trying to help people be healthy. So I truly think like if Western medicine were to 
more so begin to understand functional medicine and functional nutrition, I think what's such an empowering approach for people is, all right, you go to the doctor, rule out anything that's major. And after that, that person needs to then go to a functional nutrition specialist, right? Like we oftentimes need Western medicine. I could have definitely had something very major going on that if I would have just waited for labs with functional nutrition and all of that to come back, it could have been too late. So, right, Western medicine, great. Ruling out anything that's acute, that's an emergency, that's happening, we need it. And then we need to though bridge that gap between the two and the same thing. I will still send people over to go see a physician and we get things that come back in somebody's labs and we're like, hey, this is something that's urgent. You need to go to see a doctor. You need to get this better checked out. You know, That's when we refer back and it really should be this relationship because we're all trying to serve the same mission, right? Versus us like, what is the best approach? It's like, they're just different. And I think too, people need to become more educated. I think they are on knowing the difference between who to go to for what. So people go to Western medicine and then they're upset when they're prescribed a medication. It's like, well, it is the practice of medicine. (laughs) Uh, So they're going to prescribe medicine. So I'm not demonizing any of the physicians. That's what they learned. That's what they taught, right? Which medication can get people out of really bad places. But if you were expecting somebody to really help you make dietary and lifestyle changes and really get to the root cause, you need to think, okay, I need to go to see more so a functional medicine specialist. So uh, it's the consumers knowing the difference. And I think people are starting to learn more about functional medicine, right? Because we've been taught, you know, Western medicine is the go-to for everything. And I think that's also our own faulty thinking um, and not knowing a whole lot about functional nutrition. And that's more on the, the forefront now. Um, and like more so up and coming. And I only think it's going to grow more and more and more, but really helping people know the difference between the two. And then both areas working together synergistically based off of the same mission that we ultimately have. Do you think we're, we're gradually getting more towards that, that sort of position of, of working together? Or do you think that that's still some way away? It's hard to say. Um, There are some really incredible doctors, and I think I've seen a lot more physicians get on with functional medicine, not saying that they're necessarily doing the nutrition, but they will adopt more of a functional medicine approach with their Western medicine practice, and then they'll create their own team of, you know, nutritionists or referral networks to really be able to send people to. And I think that's really you know, what we ultimately are going to need, but then everybody's working together, you know, the nutritionist, the, the functional medicine provider, the, the Western medicine provider, it's creating this interdisciplinary team, which is sort of like what I created for myself. Um, and that's what I needed to heal. I, I needed experts in all of these different areas. I, I also needed to do a lot of uh, mental healing, which was neither going to be functional medicine nor Western medicine. So I needed to work with a professional, you know, to help me in that. And I really think it's all of these areas need to be addressed, the physical, ruling out anything that's major, and then also uh, really addressing coming of the deep, deep rooted relationships that we have with ourselves. Because often if we were to peel back the layers of what leads people to eat the way that they eat, it all comes back to a sense of worth, right? We have an epidemic truly of poor self-worth and we're all looking to feel a sense of worthiness 
in our life. And we just do it in different ways, right? So, you know, for me, you know, I went to the extreme, the achievement side of everything. So it was dance, it was gymnastics, you know, it was my physical body at a point. And even later on, like it still rubs its head up in entrepreneurship. Hello, you're back. Hi. Um, so there's still that part. And then for other people, there's that inevitable feeling of lack of worthiness, right? And so to feel good, there's the food, you know, there's all of these things that we utilize to numb, but they're just, they're just different addictions. If we look at it, you know, and we could say this addiction's bad. We could say the person with the cocaine addiction or the alcohol addiction is bad, but truly we're all addicts at the end of the day. And we're addicted to different things that are really trying to fill something that I believe, I mean, to be transparent, that I believe only God can fill. Okay. It's, it's interesting uh, to hear you talk about kind of confidence and to hear about the, the sort of psychological side of things. So one of the things I, I really wanted to ask you about is this idea of the confidence that you have and, and kind of developing that confidence. And I heard you talk about, and this may, these may not have been your words, but transcending your environment. And one of the ways, so you didn't have the best childhood, for example, you know, and, and yet now you have you know, a very successful multi-million dollar company. You actually mentor women in business and you manage to kind of turn your, your, I mean, I don't want to say your life was, was terrible, but this, it wasn't really great. Difficult, <laughs> no, but like this really difficult kind of, uh, you know, place in your life, but you've actually managed to kind of turn that around mm -hmm. and use it as an advantage and use it as, because you have this persuasive story, you've managed to help use that to kind of build your brand as it were i mean i hope you don't you don't mind me saying i mean perhaps you know your brand may not have been so successful if you didn't have this persuasive story that obviously you tell persuasively but you know it's it's this story that perhaps makes you so memorable for example so mm -hmm. a couple of couple of questions there uh, the first one would be how did you develop this confidence because you may not have always had it, as you said, like you, you grew up with a, with a, some ways a difficult background. I mean, where did this confidence come from and, and how did you develop it? Yeah, I was actually very unconfident growing up. And I think a big right. part of that was my Because you wouldn't know that now. No, I was that shy girl. I sat in the back of the classroom, you know, partial hand raise, like right here. Uh, when the teacher would call on me, you know, I would like kind of mumble under my voice. It'd be like, Rachel, speak up, speak up. Um, was very introverted, very shy growing up. And uh, through, you know, dance and gymnastics, I was like when I would almost kind of put on like this alter ego and I would like step in. And it was like my version of like pretending like I had confidence when I really actually didn't have a whole lot of confidence. And, um, you know, I, even getting into high school, I, I was the girl who was bullied a lot. I had a girl who actually turned the whole school against me. Uh, guys would ask me out on date when I was younger too. And uh, I, I literally wouldn't talk to them. I, they would have me go out on dates with them. I'd be shy. I'd be like basically mute. Like I, I'd talk. I'd give them like one word answers like, how are you? Good, good. You know, good. like very, very, very shy. Then they'd break up with me. And then this would just like further reiterate the story that I had of like, okay, like I'm not good enough. I'm... You know, we have always these stories that are running the show. And for me, you know, I had this chip on my shoulder. You know, and I think most entrepreneurs have this chip. They have this edge on their shoulder. And for me, it was 
one, on the beautiful side, I had this innate just feeling that I was meant to do something. I was meant to do something. I didn't know what it was, but I just, I had that knowing despite how insecure and how shy that I was. And then on the other side, I wanted nothing to do with the way that I was brought up. So when I graduated from high school, I wanted to go to Baylor University. I wanted to go to the $50,000 college. Well, we grew up broke. Uh, we foreclosed on our home <laughs> as a kid. Um, we lost our house. You know, um, I hear like, I can still remember the screeches of my dad's Toyota Camry pulling up to school. Like, and I'm like, park here, park here, dad. Like, let me get out so I can walk because I was like, that was how I grew up. And I wanted to create a different life. You know, I believe we have our, you know, our God-given family, and then we have our family of choice. And for me, what I've created over, you know, these decades of my life is created my family of choice and created the version of myself that I wanted to be. I had a vision for the kind of woman that I wanted to be, the kind of life that I wanted to create for myself. So I truly think I was manifesting, you know, since I was a young girl, that was a byproduct of one, just this small, subtle knowing. And, you know, from a biblical standpoint, you know, we talk, it talks about faith. You just need faith the size of a mustard seed because that means you have it, right? So I had that faith. I just had that knowing so that's why I put myself in environments like I'm going to go to Baylor. I put myself around and it wasn't even logical. It's just something that I innately did. Now, looking back, I'm like, oh, Rachel, it makes sense what you were doing. You were shifting your environment. You were putting yourself around other people. But I, I put myself around other people um, who are wanting to do big things with their life ultimately. And I think after I had my health issues, and all of that took place, it just sort of clicked for me. It, it clicked for me of like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I think there's a lot we can do when we're driven by a mission. So there's that, that part of that chip on me of like, I want to get away from as much as possible of the life that I was brought up in. And then there was the drive of being pulled towards this mission of something that I truly believed in. And when you have those two things, I believe all of the other bullshit that comes up just goes away, right? Like the, the story of like, who am I to do this? Like, I'm not good enough. All of this stuff. You're like, F it. Like, it's, it's, it's like, I'm not going to listen to that because I know there's no other option. And I gave myself no other option. I'm like, I'm doing this now. A lot of the time I was scared. Like for me, public speaking has been something that has been, very, very scary for me. I think my first public speaking event that I did, I like almost had a panic attack and I memorized the whole talk I was going to give. And like, I would get the tremors and everything leading up to it because it was so out of my comfort zone. But I put myself constantly in these environments that were very, very scary, very uncomfortable until it got to the point where it stopped being. And I think, you know, Sometimes people ask me, like, what led you to even put yourself in those kind of environments, right? Because so many of us are actually immobilized by fear, right, when that comes up. And I learned also at a very young age that I would have to work my ass off. I just learned that because I wasn't the prettiest girl. I wasn't the, the smartest girl. I actually got, like, Cs to Bs. I, like, 
made it into Baylor, but like just barely, <laughs> like just barely made it into the school. And then like just barely made it into like everything. And, and so I learned that I'm not the smartest. Um, I'm not the wealthiest. I didn't come from the best family. So what do I actually have? I'm going to have to work my ass off. So it created this insane sense of discipline that I had where I had this this knowing that I developed over time uh, that I can do anything that I want to do if I work hard enough and I can learn anything if I put myself in a situation over and over and over again. I suck at public speaking. Well, guess what, Rachel? Guess what you're going to do? You're going to get up in front of people every single week. You're going to podcast. You're going to get on stages and you're going to do it and you're going to be willing to suck as long as it takes to get better. And it's that kind of mentality that you you have to have. So kind of coming back to your question of like, how did I cultivate this confidence? Um, it started off as lack of confidence, but I had to prove it to myself with small wins. And I think through all of these small steps of the drive that I had, trying to get away from something, trying to move towards this mission, I think from having an insane discipline by not being the top, I think people who are often the top, that like the best at what they do, they don't develop the same sense of like drive and work ethic. And then I think over time of getting these wins and seeing that, you know, I can do it, it created this confidence in myself of, you know what, what the heck can I do? And now I truly walk into every situation of like, all right, I can do whatever it is that I want to do. And I do not doubt that in anything. That's, I mean, it, it's, as you said, it's great that you've kind of managed to get to that place. And um, there are a few things I want to kind of pick up on there. Uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but we hear a lot that, you know, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with and things like that. And it sounds like, you know, you, you learned that early on and, you, and you've kind of Put that to your advantage in curating this inner circle. It sounds very Jay Ferrugia to me, but only because he's yeah. the guy who kind of, you know, popularized it for me. So, one thing I was going to ask you about is there's a good story that you tell about when you hired your first business coach, mm -hmm. and it was a significant investment. And I think you talked about your your first apartment where you went to a nicer apartment. I mean. I'll let you tell the story first um, about telling your parents and, and all that, but how you deal with detractors, how you deal with people who might say, oh, Rachel, I don't think that's a good idea. Or, you know, have you thought this through? Or, you know, how do you deal with doubt? And uh, perhaps lead with the story yeah. um, of the business coach first. You know, and even in sharing that story, you know, you said, you know, we're the average of the five people that we surround ourselves with. I think for a lot of my life, I've been also looking for the people who have the template, the people who have the template of like, you just, this is what it you have to do. And this could be a, a template in health. This could be a template in, in marriage. This could be a template in, you know, in business. So I tried to get as close as possible to these people. You know, that's what I was really doing at a very young age, trying to get as close as possible to really learn the template because there's a template for anything. If you see somebody who is physically fit, you get close enough to them, you're going to learn the template. Somebody who's crushing it in business, you get close enough to them, you're going to learn the template. Somebody who has a great marriage. If you're around people who are all divorced, good luck. <laughs> but if you get around people who uh, you know have a great marriage, you're going to learn the template. And that's how easy success really is. I think that we complicate it very often. You know, We need to one, know where we want to go, 
So have a vision. So this is where I said I had a vision when I was younger of where exactly I wanted to go. We have to know that because most people don't even know that. And that's step number one. And then step two, you know, we really need to find somebody who has done what it is that we want to do. So we need to find the template. And then step three is uh, getting as close as possible to them and even being willing to pay them if you need to pay them. So that's exactly what I did with uh, a vendor. So COVID happened, everything shut down in my business that I had started in functional medicine and functional nutrition. You know, I was a one woman show. I got it to $6,000 a month. I thought I was doing great. Um, which for me, it was a huge accomplishment from where I came from, especially like leaving, working in a hospital, you know, you make the entrepreneurial leap, which is really scary. A lot of people don't even make that first leap to really go all in on their business. And, uh, everything was shut down with COVID and, uh, I decided to start a podcast, right? So that's actually when Sheer Madness was born in the middle of, uh, COVID and the pandemic. And, um, Bedros, I actually had met him at a mastermind event. So I'm a big believer in masterminds. And sometimes it's not even just the information that you learn. It's the people though that you get connected with. And when you get around the right people in the right place in the right time, I think incredible things happen. So mastermind events has opened the doors for so many incredible things in my life. So I met Bedros at a mastermind event. We became friends and, uh, I told him I started my podcast, I invited him to come on. So he was like one of my first guests. Um, and I'm like, wow, Venerous is coming on my show. Awesome. But then he referred one of his previous uh, coaching clients, uh, Tony Steffen, to come on the podcast because he was a dietitian. He's like, you guys will connect. Uh, you both have worked for Lifetime Fitness, which I'd known. I did work for Lifetime Fitness as well. And Tony comes on and he shares his story about how he had gone from making $50,000 a month working for Lifetime Fitness as a dietitian to become a, a, becoming a millionaire before he was 30. And I had one of those moments that I know you guys all know what I'm talking about. It's one of those moments where you have that thought of, man, if this person can do it, I can do it too. And I was 26 years old at the time. And after that, I texted up better. I said, I'm like, I want to work with you. No idea. I'm very naive, right? Um, thinking, you know, maybe it's like a few thousand dollars. <laughs> like, like literally didn't even think it there. But I get on a call with Bedros and uh, he tells me it's $50,000 to work with him, you know, for a full year of coaching. And when I tell you, like, my heart fell into my butt, it 100% did in that moment because you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Everything is shut down. Um, actually, I don't even have any money coming in. And when you grow, when you grow up broke, you hoard your money. <laughs> and so that's kind of my, how I first operated with money. Anything I made, I was like, save it, like, like careful because it's gonna it's gonna run away. Um, so I was hoarding all this money, which was twenty five thousand dollars. That's all I had um, in my bank account, and I said yes. And I made a decision in that moment. And it was that seed again. It was that small little seed that I had that knowing, that little bit of faith that if I say yes, it's not just saying yes to this person, but it's saying yes to the life that I really want. And that is powerful. That is a powerful place to be. And I asked Bedros actually if he had a payment plan. He said, um, yeah, we have uh, you can do $25,000 down now, $25,000 down 30 days from now. That was the payment plan I got. And I said, cool, 
I sent him over my first $25,000. And then 30 days later, I sent him over uh, a second $25,000 that I had to take a loan out for. So every last penny that I had in my bank account, like when people say you put it all on the line, like I put it all on the line, I burned all the boats. And it was that mentality of being willing to go all in, in that type of a way, what I feel like led to my success. You know, I made my first million dollars that year from going from making $6,000 a month. And since then my business has continued to grow to become a multi-million dollar business where now I actually, you know, I'm launching a functional nutrition certification to help other coaches with my approach. I have my own business mastermind now. So now I coach people one-on-one like Bedris does, but just female health coaches to help them, you know, create what I've created. So giving them my template of what I've done and uh, like, it's truly the most satisfying thing. And again, that's what created so much of the confidence is I had that moment where I had an opportunity to say, say no, to let fear take over or to say yes to myself and really bet on myself. And I chose to bet on myself. On that, how, yeah, how did you, but how did you sort of not let fear take over, right? So if you'd emptied your bank account, you know, taken out a loan, as you said, you, you pretty much had no option but to succeed. But how did you not let, you know, because a lot of people will say, okay, that's great. And, you know, yeah, Rachel's a success story. But for every Rachel, every one Rachel Shear, there are nine who, you know, are sleeping in their cars, right? So how did you, how did you kind of get past that paralysis, that, that fear that you must have, you must have had, right? I mean, you didn't know it was going to suddenly. I mean, maybe for a millisecond, but I didn't even allow that to be an option. I did not give myself an option for fear to really take hold. I was like, 100%, yes, I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to be what creates that for me. And I think when you have that type of a mentality and you're like, you truly have that type of belief and you're willing to do what you need to do. So I had the template. I'm like, this guy's right here. He has the proof. If I just follow his template and all I have to do is do what he says. And I had that trust. I had that trust in myself that, that I would follow what he said to do to the T. Thank you, bodybuilding and all the discipline that I developed. So like, I'm like, I will hundred percent do it. And then I had the belief also in like him, I had seen the results and the fruits in his life and his business. And that's where very often, like we're taking advice from people who don't have the fruits in their life, right? So you asked me a little bit about like, how do you, how do you counteract the people who are like, why are you doing this? And the voices, right? Because there's always those voices. Yeah. Cause you must've had that, right? Especially coming from your background, like you must've had that or people saying, you know, Rachel, is this a good idea? You're doing all right. Like, you know, COVID's here. You don't know where your next dollar's coming from. Like, yeah. you know, be, be a bit careful and, and all this sort of thing. Super simple. If they don't have the results that I'm looking to attain, their opinion doesn't matter. So when my mom was like, that's insane. And I actually told her it was $25,000. Like, why would you do that? I look at her a lot and I love my mom. So I look at the life though. And I say, is that the life that I want? Because people are always guiding you to what they have in their life. So unless the person who's giving me advice has what I want. So if it's the person who has the great marriage, who's saying like, Hey, Rachel, I'm giving me advice. I may listen to that. But if it's my friend who's been through two divorces and they're trying to give me relationship advice, cool. I, I love you, 
but I'm going to seek my advice elsewhere. You know, everybody wants to give you business advice, investment advice. Well, have they really done what it takes? I'm going to listen to the person who has made the investments, who's made mistakes, who has actually put themselves in the fire, who has bet on themselves. I'm going to listen to that person, right? That's going to be my guidepost. So very simple. Do they have the fruits in their life that you want? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. So just kind of picking up on on the 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 work you're doing um mentoring women in business the, the sort of women entrepreneurship um one thing that i was interested in asking is you know do you think that there's certain things that women struggle with more in business than than men do and i'm thinking you know people have talked about imposter syndrome and that sort of thing but and also the second side of that question is you know women may be struggling with certain things but what do men struggle with that perhaps women are better at in, in mm. business? I think it's an interesting question because obviously, you know, you have insight um, from, from both sides on that. Yeah. I think women struggle a lot more with burnout because being in business, it's a very masculine role. It's a goal. So that's exactly, I've heard you talk about this. This yeah. is why I asked the question. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's um, a go-getter then, role. It's putting yourself out there and it's a very masculine role. So the challenge is for women to balance, you know, that feminine part of them with more so that masculine part. And, you know, there's all this stuff online now about, you know, like you're in your masculine, that's bad. You know, both actually coexist beautifully. They dance together. It's knowing when to lean into each. If you're always in your masculine, that's going to lead to burnout. If you are always in your feminine, you're probably not going to create the results that you ultimately want in your business. So it has to be a beautiful dance synergistically between the two. Same with men, actually. Like they also need to be able to go in their masculine and go in their feminine, you know, and be able to kind of like lean between the two. And I think for me, it's been a bit of a, uh, a journey to find that balance. You know, people ask me like, well, there's like, you seem very feminine, but then you're like doing all of these things, right? Well, we learn through lessons, right? So I have been through, you know, different burnout phases. And I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to tell somebody I've had the perfect journey of entrepreneurship. You know, I'm type A, I'm a go-getter. And I've had those moments of where I have been burnt out. And, and through those moments, I've had to really kind of pull back and self-assess of like, all right, what can I do and change and implement differently? Um, and, and make same thing, the necessary lifestyle changes that I need to. Like I need sleep. Um, so what I did very early on in my entrepreneurial journey is I was like, all right, I'm going to be like the guys and I'm going to wake up at, you know, four in the morning, four 30 in the morning. And I'm going to like grind and stuff. And hello, burnout. Um, that did not work for me. And it doesn't work for most women. Actually, the greatest thing that I started to implement and even helped a lot with my productivity has been not setting an alarm. And I started to do this year. This year, I completely got rid of an alarm clock. I shifted my schedule a bit where I don't have morning calls and my body still naturally wakes me up anywhere between 5 a.m. up to 6.30 a.m. So it's usually like within that window. Sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late. Yeah, but it's allowing my body to 
have what it needs. So there are some days my body needs more rest. And there are some days that I'm like, cool, I'm ready to get up and go. And for women, like we are constantly changing throughout the month. This is why our hormones cycle. They're very complex. So there's actually times of the month, like when women are uh, in their uh, pre-ovulatory phase where they have a lot more energy, they're ready to charge forward. And then there's times where as women, we shift back more into, we call it like the winter season, which is like the uh, premenstrual phase and then menstrual phase of the cycle where energy is a lot more inward. This is where it's time to conserve. It's not the best time to do speaking engagements or podcasts or those kind of things. So, you know, for me working with women, I've had to learn how to balance both, both of these different areas only through experience of stepping in it. So I'm really passionate about helping other women, you know, create the life and the abundance that they want without burning themselves out along the way and without sacrificing the things that they they really do value. And this actually is for men and women, right? So I think a lot of people have this grandiose idea of what they want. They have this awesome vision. Cool. Uh, I want to make, you know, $10 million. Like That's a great vision. But are you aware of what you're going to sacrifice in order to have to do that, right? So something that I have all of my clients do is first, yes, have the vision, but two, get massively clear on what their core values are. And this is for any entrepreneur out there because anytime you're running into friction in your life, burnout, whatever it may be, you're probably not in alignment with your core values. And an example of this with me, so I have health is one of my core values, which is not just physical health, it is also mental health, it is spiritual health. I have a core value of servant leadership. So this is uh, really seeing a need and taking action. It's coming from more a servant type mentality and, and lead, leading as an example. And then three, it is excellence. So it is being the same person in all different areas. It's following through on the things that I say I'm going to do. It's, you know, do it right or do it again. And what I would notice is actually uh, there'd be times where I'd sacrifice a little bit, maybe of the health side, believe it or not, even though I'm like a health coach, right? But it was like, okay, mental health or, or you know, um, and it would lead to these things to become off in my life. And really anytime we're out of our own core values, there's going to be, you know, friction in our life. So now what I do is I'm always coming back to, am I in alignment with these core values? And I actually had to rank these core values. So health is first, number one, servant leadership, and then excellence, where there was a time where like excellence and health could butt up against each other, right? Like thinking about that, like, all right, I said, I have to do this. I have to get it done, right? Follow through on the things you say you're going to do. Well, hello, mental health, sleep, things like that. So now health is number one, which so excellence is still a value, but it's going to look different on different days. And I'm not going to sacrifice my health for just excellence, because that's actually more so perfectionism and not excellence. Um, and there's a big difference between the two. So that would be a big piece of advice for men and women. Get very clear, not only what you want, but your core values. And you need to check in with yourself along the way, because if one of your core values is relationships and you're like, I want to build a $10 million business. Well, okay. You need to constantly be maintaining that in your life now, because I promise you, there's not going to be a point where like, well, I'll make this a value later on in my life. No, you do it now. And then you check in with yourself every step of the way, because you will have to sacrifice things, but these are the things that you're not willing to sacrifice. I mean, I, I, as you said, I suppose 
it's kind of negotiating the tension between the different um the different kind of core values i mean how i mean how do you think about balance then as you said because sometimes health will will be up there as well you said health was the number one but then sometimes you'll have to sacrifice a bit of health like how how do you how do or or is there no such thing as balance i mean how do you think about these things well i won't sacrifice my health anymore um so health is number one value then servant leadership and then excellence and i and i go at them through that order so i'm always checking in with myself so it's like okay there's this thing i need to do like is this sacrificing my health? And then I can use that to make a judgment call. So core values are really also a filter for making decisions in your life. But, you know, it's like, what is the definition of balance? And it's very relative to each person. My definition of balance is probably very different than your definition of balance. So it's like, great, we're always trying to achieve balance. I don't believe in that. I believe living in alignment with your core values. And if you're in alignment with your core values, which we could say, what does it mean to live a great life? So you, by your definition, can live a great life if you live a life based on values, which are your core values, which are your opinion. I also believe that there is principles, which principles are universal truth um, that we live by, but then there's values. So I think balance doesn't matter as much as living in your core values. Yeah, that's a, that's a very that's a very interesting way to look at it, and you've clearly thought about that quite a bit. So, the second part of the question that that I wanted to sort of ask you is, you know, what what could what could men learn from from you know lessons from women in business, for example? Like, what do you think women do better than men in business? To, to rephrase the question, I think men are a lot more logical. And then women are more intuitive. So part of my intuitive nature is what makes me a great coach. Um, it, I think it's also been a huge part of my guidepost throughout my entire life. It's been that like intuition of like, all right, I don't quite have all of the answers, um, but my intuition is guiding me to go this way and I'm going to act on that. That's what also helps me with taking a root cause approach with people. Like, yes, there's the education in the background, but there's a level of intuition and women really lean more into intuition and intuition is something that you kind of have to slow down a little bit for. So when you're always in like a masculine place, you're definitely going to be uh, more logic based, right? So you rationalize everything. It's just, you know, very action oriented. Sometimes it can be a bit more impulsive, which impulsive isn't bad, right? Sometimes in entrepreneurship, you have to be able to make quick and fast decisions on the spot. But I think something that men could learn from women is in that slowdown, you know, like we, we have to slow down a lot more is in that slowdown, it allows for there to be more of this intuitive, um, nature, which I, I think is a little bit more on the feminine side, but really being able to tap into that, which is getting quiet enough. This is why I love, uh, you know, I'm, I have my meditations that I do in the morning. Um, it's where I, I manifest different things. And I think, um, being able to slow down and allow for more kind of pauses versus just hard charging would also serve men exponentially to not only in, in burnout, because men can get burnout, I, I don't think to the same degree as women can, because um, they don't have uh, the same cyclic hormones that we have, you know, they have more testosterone, they can do a lot better with less sleep, women just need more sleep than uh, men do. But I think it really is tapping more into uh, listening to that very quiet voice that you can only really hear when you slow down. I think that's that's a good place to end. I mean, I'm conscious um, 
taken up a lot of your time today and you've been very generous with it. So I guess just a couple of questions to, to quickly wrap up. Is there anything that you wish I'd asked or is there anything that I've you know, neglected to ask that you hope I might have asked? Oh, man, you've been great. I can't think of, you've hit on so many incredible questions. Um, yeah, I guess if your audience is interested in learning more about functional nutrition, you know, and they're a coach, because I'd imagine you have a lot of coaches listening to your podcast, uh, you know, my main goal right now is really empowering other people to take more of a root cause and functional approach with their clients. So if you want to learn a bit more about that, um, I can send you the link to the certification, but it's rachelshear.com slash certification. So that was my next question. Yeah, pe people are going to want to find out a little bit more about you, a little bit more about what you do and all that sort of thing. So where would you like to direct people to? You can follow me on IG. My page is at Rachel Shear. I have my practice page, which is Rachel Shear Nutrition. And then you can check out my website, rachelshear.com, where you will find all things on my practice, root cause approach, my certification. And then if you're a lady interested in uh, business coaching about my evolution mastermind. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Johnny. It's been awesome.